Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. One of the biggest topics of conversation in football these days is concussions and CTE. It saddens me to see former players suffering. But at the same time, it frustrates me to see penalty after penalty being called for what's nothing more than clean and aggressive defensive play. I say that because I've always been a big fan of defense. When I was growing up, my favorite players were on defense. And when I was playing, I always wanted to be on the defensive side of the ball. Back then, we didn't get flagged unless it was a blatant cheap shot. I understand that rule changes are needed to protect players, but I don't think it should be to the point where a defender can no longer play aggressively without having to worry about getting penalized. Let's be clear, a defender's job is to stop the offense from advancing the ball. That means attacking the man with the ball or the man who's about to catch the ball. A defender has a split second to make a tackle. That means it's a matter of speed and timing because there usually isn't time to decide where or how you're going to make a tackle. You have to use your instincts. I was taught by my father to get low, drive my shoulder into the ball carrier's stomach or hip, wrap my arms around his legs, and drive him to the ground. While that was my intention and preference, Executing that approach wasn't always possible. That's because a defender has to react and adjust to what the ball carrier is doing. The ball carrier isn't going to stand there and allow you to tackle them. I'm not trying to make light of concussions or head trauma injuries. As a lifelong fan of the game, I'm as disturbed by these findings as anyone. I'm also trying to understand the root of the problem. So just how should a defender tackle or sack a quarterback? If he tackles him low, he may be penalized for going after his knees. If he tackles him high, he may be penalized for going after his head. And if he hits him just a fraction after he releases the ball, he's likely to be penalized for roughing the passer. A defender faces similar challenges with a receiver. Hit him too high, too low, too hard, and you're likely to be penalized. If you touch him before the ball gets there, then that's interference. But isn't it the defender's job to stop the receiver from catching the ball? And if he does catch it, isn't it the defender's job to make him drop the ball? I'm convinced that these tackling restrictions are why we see so many missed tackles in today's game. I understand that today's players are bigger, faster, and stronger than years ago. 
and I also understand that officials are trying to stop helmet-to-helmet contact from happening. But in a high-speed contact game like football, a lot of those hits aren't intentional. Throwing a flag every time it happens isn't going to stop it from happening. At some point, you have to let players play. I'm not trying to minimize the seriousness of head injuries. The easy answer is to make more rule changes. But honestly, there are just so many rule changes you can make. Football is a game of contact and collisions. Take that away and you take away the essence of the game. So let's explore what could and also shouldn't be done. Number one. Are improvements to football helmets really helping? Adding padding and increasing the thickness of the shell also increases helmet weight. Heavier helmets make for better battering rams. Number two, nobody can deny that there's an increase in criminal behavior among football players, particularly in the NFL. Much of this criminal behavior is in the form of domestic violence. The NFL needs to take a tougher stance on this. If a player is found guilty of domestic violence or any other type of off-field violence that's not in self-defense, he should be suspended for a full season. A second offense should be a lifetime suspension. What does this have to do with concussions? If a player is willing to hit beat and hurt his wife, girlfriend, or anybody else, what makes you think he would stop short of intentionally injuring an opponent? Number three, stricter testing and suspensions are needed for steroid use. It's a well-known fact that anabolic steroids will help you get bigger, faster, and stronger. They'll also make you more aggressive. Most football players, especially those on the defensive side of the ball, are already aggressive. Taking steroids will make them even more aggressive. I'm sure most people have heard the term roid rage. Now imagine, if you would, a very large, strong, and fast defensive football player with roid rage. He's probably not going to be too concerned about helmet-to-helmet contact and he's probably not going to be all that concerned about injuring his opponent. Bigger, faster, stronger, and more aggressive equals more violent collisions. More violent collisions equals more concussions. If the NFL is serious about protecting players from concussions, they need to get serious about stricter testing and suspensions for steroid use and they need the cooperation of the players union to do this. Number four, reduce the amount of full contact in practice. Most NFL, college, high school, and youth football leagues have already done this, but some suggest taking it a step further. I recently read an article about eliminating full contact in practice altogether. The Ivy League has done that, The league is using robots and tackling dummies to simulate the moves of offensive players. At first, I scoffed at the idea, as did many coaches and players, but it has paid off in the win and loss category. 
When you really start to think about it, it's not a bad idea. Most players at the college and NFL level already know how to tackle. Aren't they already taking too many hits in games? Do they really need to take more hits in practice? Number five, many of the rule changes made during the 1980s and 1990s were designed to make the game more exciting, to open up the passing game, no more three yards in a cloud of dust. So these days, it's not uncommon for an NFL quarterback to throw the ball 50 times a game. That means more chances for a quarterback and receiver to get hit, and with that, more chances for head-to-head -head contact. We easily forget that the game lasts longer with all that passing. The clock stops on every incomplete pass, so there are more offensive plays in today's game, which means more chances to hit offensive players. Up until the late 1970s, it wasn't uncommon for a quarterback to throw the ball less than 20 times in a game. In today's game, a quarterback is likely to throw 20 passes by halftime. So an unintended consequence of making the game more exciting is that it has made it more dangerous, especially for quarterbacks and receivers. Next week, we will continue this article with part two. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and God bless. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.